The content in this podcast is not meant to replace professional help or advice. This is my story, and a lot of the things I talk about might or might not help you. Please don't take my experiences as a sign to stop your progress or professional plan. These are my experiences and my research. Hello, my beautiful people. Welcome back to the Mental Magic Podcast. The holidays are upon us, and I don't know about you guys, but the holidays are probably the lowest time of year for me. Specifically the actual holidays, considering important people in my life have birthdays around the holidays, so those days are good. But overall, I hope we can enjoy the cold weather and hot drinks and maybe even the company of some special people. For this week's episode, I'm going to be discussing PTSD. 6% of the U.S. population will have PTSD at some point in their lives, but most will recover from it and will no longer be considered as having the disorder after treatment is successful. According to the poll on Instagram, most people were aware of PTSD because most either have it or know someone that has it. Yet, majority have no idea what the signs and symptoms are. Almost everyone doesn't know the risks of developing it, um, but they did know that most people turn to drugs and drinking to cope with the triggers and symptoms. To my surprise, it was half and half on whether people were aware that there is a type of PTSD that develops when a child is traumatized at a very young age. I love doing these polls because I love to see how much people know about the disorder that I'm going to talk about. It's eye-opening every time. It also reminds me how much awareness is needed with mental health. So I would like to talk about the resources I'm providing in the description of the episode. First, the StairCoach app. Uh, This is a newer app to me since I downloaded it maybe a month and a half or so ago, and it's available on the App Store and Google Play. It's got really cool features and information about trauma. I actually found this app through a VA website, and I really, really like it. It's got some really cool features and a ton of information about trauma. It offers really short and digestible readings and tools for when times are rough. And just like with any other app, you can set reminders to check in and journal or track moods. Uh, You can add self-care goals that work for you. And they have training sessions that walk you through how to manage your trauma with simple and fast readings. I think it's a really good introduction to anyone who may be considering a new tool to their PTSD treatment. It also helps you explain your disorder to other people in easier terms. I have a hard time explaining my emotions, so when I do the mood log and go through the emotions, I usually find something that resonates. Um, I also provided another test to see if you have PTSD. Again, please just use this as a tool and don't take the results and diagnose yourself. If you get some results you want more information about or just don't feel comfortable with, make an appointment with your provider and make sure you let them know your results and that you'd like more information. 
Lastly, I provided a YouTube video about how to deal with stressful world news. I am very aware of the atrocities of the world. I do my research, I send my letters, I call the phone numbers, I sign the petitions, I stay informed as much as possible, I try to donate the little bit of my broke-ass college fund that I can. Um, yeah, I, I do as much as possible. I stay informed as much as possible. And uh, I have to admit, it, it can be really taxing on my mental health. Um, and I know a lot of you feel the same. In no way am I saying that you need to ignore the world and be uninformed because as humans, we need to be aware of what's going on on our planet. Uh, be informed. Do what you need to do in your reach uh, to help those that you can help. Um, just remember to take breathers. Take moments to journal your feelings or listen to music or walk outside without your phone. Uh, practice gratitude, anything that's going to kind of help you ground yourself and bring you back to a better place. Um, it's a helpless, awful feeling to watch the destruction of humanity being blasted all over every platform, knowing that you can't do much about it because this problem is bigger than you as an individual. Yes, we can as a whole change things, and I support you guys doing everything you can to fight against the atrocities of the world. Just be kind to yourself. Um, remember you can't continue to help others when you're not taking care of yourself. So, what's PTSD? Post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, is a psychiatric disorder that may happen in people who have experienced or witnessed a traumatic event, series of events, or set of circumstances. Someone may experience this as emotionally or physically harmful or life-threatening, and it could affect mental, physical, social, and or spiritual well-being. Some examples of PTSD situations or events um, include natural disasters, serious accidents, terrorist attacks, war, combat, rape, sexual assault, historical trauma, intimate partner violence, and bullying. PTSD has been known by many names in the past, such as shell shock during the years of World War I, and combat fatigue after World War II. But PTSD does not just happen to combat veterans. PTSD can occur in all people of any ethnicity, nationality, or culture, and at any age. PTSD affects approximately 3.5% of U.S. adults every year. An estimate of 1 in 11 people will be diagnosed with PTSD in their lifetime. Women are twice as likely as men to have PTSD. Three ethnic groups... U.S. Latinos, African Americans, and Native Americans or Alaska Natives are disproportionately affected and have higher rates of PTSD than non-Latino whites. People with PTSD have intense, disturbing thoughts and feelings related to their experience that last long after the traumatic event has ended. 
They may relive the event through flashbacks or nightmares. They may feel sadness, fear, or anger, and they may feel detached or estranged from other people. People with PTSD may avoid situations or people that remind them of the traumatic event, and they may have a strong negative reaction to something as ordinary as a loud noise or an accidental touch. My experience with PTSD is a long one. I've had CPTSD and I disassociate as well. Um, they were diagnosed separately, so I'm not entirely sure why I wasn't automatically diagnosed with disassociative PC PTSD. Maybe my experiences fall more under PT CPTSD. I don't know, I'll ask my therapist. <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to go into my first memory of trauma because it's uh, not safe for life. <laughs> but just know this shit started young as hell. And the trauma just kept happening in different circumstances over and over throughout most of my childhood and teenagehood and early adulthood. Um, haven't had very many traumatic experiences in my 30s yet, um, but I don't know. I still got time, so <laughs> we'll never know, I guess, <laughs> or we'll find out. Um, I don't know what I did to attract such shitty experiences and constantly going through a cycle of being ignored or being looked at under a microscope. I come from a family of disconnected and lack of self-awareness humans <laughs> on top of being Mexican and having that ridiculous ideology attached to it, yet our culture is nice. But it's not all tamales and piñatas. Uh, there's some deep-rooted hatred within our people. And it comes out in so many different ways. But it all tends to end in trauma. Or I guess begin from trauma. Yet trauma doesn't exist amongst Latinos. I don't know if you knew this, but we're immune to mental illness. <laughs> Our brains are so engorged with indigenous blood that we couldn't possibly become aware of the shit we feel is not normal. <laughs> so along with being beaten by outdated beliefs, I was, along with many other immigrant kids, forced to be American along with everyone else, but the moment we stepped foot in the door, it was back to being in Little Mexico. We had to be perfect in two completely different worlds, yet keep them absolutely separate, but know when to integrate them for the benefit of others and sometimes ourselves. I grew up in the Bay Area, California. Milpitas to be exact. Not very many people know where that is. That's fine. It's a really small town. I don't expect you to know where it is, but if you do, shout out to Milpitas. <laughs> um, it's a little town right next to San Jose. Um, now, I don't know exact 
percentages, but it felt like about 96% of the Bay Area residents in the 90s were all Asians. They were the majority, mainly Filipinos. So that was another world I was immersed into and also was an outcast in. <laughs> uh, we all were kids of immigrants, so we had a lot of in common, but we were also kids and everyone wanted to be the coolest, so it was always a competition. Everything was a fucking competition and I've never been competitive. I got bullied at home and at school some horrible shit happened to me as a kid that changed my view on the world forever and it didn't end for a long time. I didn't really have an escape. Home was disappointing. School was terrible. I had friends but I was also a huge introvert hermit that forced myself to go outside and play with other kids here and there but I usually had to force myself, so it wasn't really that fun. <laughs> My parents were too busy making money and worrying about how shit looks rather than how things are. My sisters and cousins were all way older than me and didn't want shit to do with me. My closest friends were my belongings and my pets. Eventually, I hit puberty and then the hormones on top of the trauma slowly started to unravel. Things started getting weird. My relationships with people, my view on myself, my view of the world, everything just kind of shifted. I started rebelling outwardly more. I always had this, I feel like doing it so I'm gonna do it type of attitude didn't care if anyone agreed or not. I want to experience something so I'm going to. But puberty did something to my brain where I went from being quiet and kind of a doormat to not giving a single fuck about anyone's feelings, even my own. And it only got worse from there. Shit slowly started to unravel and then when I moved to Arizona and started high school, it's like my brain gave up on upholding any sort of okay reputation for myself and I was fully living to replace bad experiences with ones I was in control of. And that attitude lasted until my late 20s, early 30s uh, when I decided to go back to therapy and I think I had everyone in my life at the edge of their seats preparing for what was coming next. I'm sure it didn't help that my bipolar disorder unraveled more and around the same time puberty hit as well. It was a clusterfuck of mental disorders and hormones coming to party with each other at the expense of my sanity. Uh, now in my mid-30s, I'm finally facing all of the shit I've been running from for decades from the old to the most recent. Um, I'm finally allowing the pain to be felt, the memories to be acknowledged, the emotions to be deciphered, and honestly really allowing myself to heal because I truly deserve it.
I may not have deserved everything that happened to me, but I do deserve to be free from the prison of those experiences I have had to be in. I don't know what's to come. I'm relearning myself right now. I'm relearning who I am, who I want to be, how I want to live my life from this moment on. I'm nervous to see where this goes, but I'm not scared. It's like being reborn, but with knowledge of how to not fuck it up this time. <laughs> it's like a second chance at the same life. So let's touch up on some signs and symptoms. It seems like most people don't really know what to look for when they come across somebody with PTSD. Um, or maybe there's somebody in your family you think might know it. Like, yeah, let's just go over some symptoms. So there's a few signs and symptoms and I'm, I have them in like uh, little sections. So we're gonna go through each section and just kind of overview what the symptoms are for each type of symptom, I guess, is how I'm gonna put it. <laughs> so the first set of symptoms is called re-experiencing symptoms. These include flashbacks, which are reliving the traumatic event, including physical symptoms such as racing heart or sweating, uh, reoccurring memories or dreams related to the event, distressing thoughts, physical signs of stress. Uh, thoughts and feelings can trigger these symptoms as words, objects, or situations that are reminders of the event. Another set of symptoms is avoidance symptoms, staying away from places, events, or objects that are reminders of the experience, or avoiding thoughts or feelings related to the traumatic event. Avoidance symptoms may cause people to change their routines. For example, some people may avoid driving or riding in a car after a serious car accident. The next type of symptoms are called arousal and reactivity symptoms. This is when someone is easily startled, um, feeling tense, on guard, or on edge, having difficulty concentrating, having difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep, feeling irritable and having angry or aggressive outbursts, engaging in risky, reckless, or destructive behavior, Arousal symptoms are often constant. They can lead to feelings of stress and anger and may interfere with parts of daily life, such as sleeping, eating, or concentrating. And the last category of symptoms is called cognition and mood symptoms. This is when you have trouble remembering key features of the traumatic event, negative thoughts about oneself or the world, exaggerated feelings of blame directed towards oneself or others, ongoing negative emotions such as fear, anger, guilt, or shame, loss of interest in previous activities, feelings of social isolation, and difficulty feeling positive emotions such as happiness 
or satisfaction. Cognition and mood symptoms can begin or worsen after the traumatic event. They can lead people to feel detached from friends or family members. So how does somebody get diagnosed? Usually, you know, you gotta go to a doctor, get exams, all this stuff, but let's look at what's gonna happen when you go to your doctor. So when you arrive to your doctor, they will perform a physical exam just to check if there's any medical problems that may be causing your symptoms. They'll do a psychological evaluation and that includes a discussion of your symptoms and the signs of PTSD you may be having and the event or events that led up to them. And then they're going to use the criteria in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders or the DSM-5. Um, it's basically a handbook used by healthcare professionals uh, to guide them on diagnosing mental disorders. In order to be diagnosed with PTSD, um, the adult must have all of the following for at least one month. They have to have at least one re-experiencing symptom, at least one avoidance symptom, at least two arousal and reactivity symptoms, and at least two cognition and mood symptoms. Uh, the diagnosis of PTSD requires exposure to an event that involved the actual or possible threat of death, violence, or serious injury. Your exposure can happen in one or more of these ways. You either directly experienced the traumatic event, you witnessed in person the traumatic event occurring to others, you learned someone close to you experienced or was threatened by a traumatic event, or you are repeatedly exposed to graphic details of traumatic events. Uh, for example, like if you're a first responder, an EMT, a paramedic, firefighter, um, who have to deal with scenes of traumatic events all the time. There are some risk factors that may increase the likelihood of developing PTSD. Uh, these include exposure to previous traumatic experiences, particularly in high, in, during childhood. <laughs> getting hurt, or seeing people hurt or killed, feeling horror, helplessness, or extreme fear, having little or no social support after the event, dealing with stressors after the event, such as the loss of a loved one, pain and injury, or loss of a job or home, and having personal history or family history of mental illness or substance abuse. But there are resilience factors. Um, these are things that may reduce the likelihood of developing PTSD. So those would include seeking out and receiving support from friends, family, or support groups. Learning to feel okay with your actions in response to the traumatic event having a coping strategy for getting through and learning from a traumatic event, 
and being prepared and able to respond to upsetting events as they occur despite feeling fear. There are definitely different types of traumatic responses, I'm going to say. Maybe not necessarily PTSD, because some of these don't necessarily fall under the PTSD umbrella, but they are a type of trauma response. So the first, time we're, the first one we're going to talk about is called normal stress response. And this is what happens before PTSD begins. Um, but it doesn't always lead up to a full-blown disorder. So events that can cause this are like accidents, injuries, illnesses, surgeries, and other sources of unreasonable amount of tension and stress that can all lead to this response. Typically, normal stress response can be effectively managed with the support of loved ones, peers, and individual or group therapy sessions. People suffering from normal stress response should see a recovery in about a couple weeks. Um, when something stressful happens, the body has a system in place that works to keep you safe in the face of potential danger. Stress is normal and even healthy in short bursts since stress can help you, the stress response can help you avoid danger and provide energy to push through short-term issues. Um, this is also called acute stress, which goes away uh, quickly. Stress that lasts too long or occurs frequently is called chronic stress, which can have negative health consequences like headaches, pain, um, gastrointestinal issues, heart issues, libido issues, memory issues, nausea, and a lot more. So there are three stages of this kind of stress. The first stage is called the alarm stage. This is when your body is alerted to the stressor, um, which awakens the central nervous system and prepares you to react. This is usually referred to as the fight or flight. Uh, the stressor that triggers the alarm stage can be primary. Um, a sudden frightening experience, like a car heading towards you, or a secondary, uh, deliberately entering a stressful situation, like taking an exam or meeting your boss for a meeting. Uh, during the alarm stage, you might experience increased heart rate, rapid breathing, dizziness or lightheadedness, appetite changes, and cold sweats. Stage two is called resistance. This is when your body tries to return to normal by bringing down your heart rate and lowering your blood pressure. During this phase, your body begins to repair itself and may stay on high alert for quite a while. If your body doesn't su successfully recover from stage one, it can start releasing stored sugars and fats, which consumes vital resources and may cause you to overeat, eat foods that aren't nutritious, or perform other unhealthy behaviors. Um, feeling exhausted or fatigued, feeling anxiety or tension, having trouble concentrating, or even getting sick. And the third and final stage is called exhaustion. So if stages one and two continue over time without resolution, like your stress never goes away, you enter the third stage in which there is a breakdown of balance within the body. This is known as chronic stress. Chronic stress can lead to a variety of health problems like diabetes, heart disease, stroke, 
high blood pressure, metabolic syndrome, metabolic syndrome, <laughs> mental health conditions like depression or anxiety, sleep problems like insomnia, um, you're increasingly susceptible to infections, skin conditions like acne, eczema, and menstrual problems. So when you want to start seeing a mental health professional is when the stress starts to affect you physically, like with panic attacks. Um, you want to see a healthcare provider as soon as possible, or if they're really bad and it's an emergency, definitely go to the emergency room. Um, when stress is temporary, it can actually be beneficial and it helps you react to situations and build resilience to the world around you. But ongoing and last longing, last long-lasting stress can cause health concerns. So preventing or managing chronic stress is really, really important. Um, ways to manage stress include relaxation techniques, um, uh, getting healthy lifestyle habits like exercise and sleep, and connecting with others. Um, you might be able to find ways to combat your stress with other people sharing with you what they do. Another type of traumatic response is called acute stress disorder. While it's not the same as PTSD, it can occur in people who have been exposed to what is or what feels like a life-threatening event. Natural disasters, loss of loved ones, loss of a job, or risk of death are all stressors that can trigger acute stress disorder. Often, if left untreated, acute stress disorder may actually develop into PTSD. Uh, acute stress disorder occurs within the first three months after a traumatic event. Symptoms include flashbacks, avoidance of reminders of the trauma, difficulty sleeping, irritability, and hypervigilance. Within one month of the trauma, survivors show rates of ASD ranging from 6% to 33%. Rates differ for different types of trauma. For example, survivors of accidents or disasters like typhoons or hurricanes um, show lower rates of ASD. Survivors of violence like robberies, assaults, and mass shootings show rates at higher end of the range. Several factors can put you at risk for develop developing ASD after a trauma. Uh, having gone through other traumatic events, having had PTSD in the past, having had prior mental health problems, tending to have symptoms such as not knowing who or where you are when confronted with trauma. If you have ASD, you're more than likely to get PTSD. Research found that over 80% of people with ASD have PTSD six months later. Not everyone with ASD will get PTSD, um, but those who do not get ASD can still develop PTSD later on. Studies indicate that a small number of survivors who do not get ASD in the first month of their trauma will get PTSD in later months or years. 
CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy has been shown to have really positive results. Uh, research show that survivors who get CBT soon after going through the trauma are less likely to get PTSD symptoms later. A mental health care professional trained in treatment for trauma can judge whether or not CBT may be helpful for your situation. Acute stress disorder can be treated through individual or group therapy, medication, and other intensive treatments designed by a psychiatrist. Chronic PTSD is a longer-lasting form of the disorder that occurs when symptoms last for more than three months. People with chronic PTSD may have more severe or persistent symptoms, including difficulty with relationships, work, and daily activities. When you compare PTSD acute versus chronic symptoms, there's a bit of an overlap. Avoidance, hyperarousal, and flashbacks are common symptoms in both conditions. However, acute stress disorder is more strongly associated with dissociative symptoms. Another critical difference between the two conditions is duration of symptoms. Acute stress disorder symptoms can continue anywhere from three days to four weeks. Chronic symptoms, chronic PTSD symptoms though, may continue for at least one month and potentially persist for years. Another type of trauma response is called delayed onset PTSD. Uh, this occurs when symptoms do not appear until at least six months or longer after the traumatic event. This type of PTSD can be more challenging to diagnose and treat because the delay in onset can make it difficult to link the symptoms to the traumatic event. Uh, this type is mostly seen in the elderly who may develop PTSD stemming from a traumatic event that occurred when they were much younger. Not much is known as to why it occurs. However, it seems that people who may be most at risk are those who are experiencing some symptoms of PTSD, but not enough to meet the criteria for a PTSD diagnosis after the traumatic event. The development of delayed onset PTSD in the absence of any previous PTSD symptoms are very rare and most cases of delayed onset PTSD seem to reflect a worsening or reoccurrence of symptoms. Experiencing additional trauma may make the ability to cope with previous traumatic events extremely difficult, increasing the likelihood of PTSD symptoms becoming more severe. So for example, one study of World War II veterans found that Many had a worsening of their PTSD symptoms or development of delayed onset PTSD much later in life. Almost half of the veterans indicated that the worsening of their symptoms was triggered by major life changes like losing a job or a family member. After a traumatic event, many people may begin to experience some symptoms of PTSD for most, these symptoms may naturally lessen over time, except, except sometimes symptoms may persist. Even though symptoms may not be severe enough to meet criteria for a PTSD diagnosis, they can still interfere with your life. 
if these symptoms are not adequately addressed, uh, they could increase the risk for delayed onset PTSD. It's really important to take the steps early on to cope with your PTSD symptoms. There are a number of effective healthy coping strategies like reaching out to friends or family members that you feel comfortable talking to, establishing a healthy routine, doing something that you love or loved at one point and haven't done in a while. But most importantly, you want to be careful to not rely on coping strategies that are focused on avoidance or suppression of the PTSD symptoms like substance abuse. This kind of coping me mechanism may help you initially escape your symptoms, but in the long run, it will only cause your system, your symptoms to persist and generally get worse. In addition, if you notice that you are continuing to experience symptoms from a traumatic event that happened a long time ago, it may be worthwhile to talk to a mental health professional. You do not need a diagnosis of PTSD to benefit from PTSD treatments. Another trauma response with PTSD is called dissociative PTSD. This is when you meet the full criteria for PTSD and in addition have depersonalization or derealization. People with this type tend to have a history of PTSD early in life they tend to have more trauma exposure and have higher rates of suicide. Almost 15% of people with PTSD also experience depersonalization and derealization. As a result, these people experience PTSD symptoms more frequently, have onset of PTSD in childhood, have high exposure to trauma or more childhood adversities. For example, mental illness in a parent, divorce, and poverty. Uh, experience severe role impairment, like they have difficulties in performing job responsibilities and completing work around the house, and have more suicidal thoughts and make more suicidal gestures, plans, and attempts. So depersonalization, if you guys don't know, is when a person always or often feels like they're seeing themselves from the outside of their body or you feel like everything around you isn't real or both at the same time. Derealization is similar but different. It's when you're detached from your surroundings and stuff around you seems unreal and you're completely aware of the fact that you are in this weird altered state. It's like a dream world or like this foggy memory type feeling. Um, the world may seem lifeless and people may look really wrong to you. Uh, some characteristics of dissociative PTSD include a higher chance of having it with other mental health conditions, dissociative flashbacks and dissociative amnesia, more significant history of early, early life trauma, and more severe PTSD symptoms. Those with re-experiencing symptoms, like flashbacks after trauma, are more likely to experience, it, experience dissociation. There is still ongoing research on treatment for this type of PTSD. However, experts believe that exposure therapy might be 
best for helping manage these symptoms. Some uh, treatments include cognitive processing therapy, prolonged exposure therapy, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing or EMDR, and narrative exposure therapy. Typically, psychotherapy for PTSD involves prolonged exposure therapy and cognitive therapy to lessen the hyperarousal brought on by PTSD. But because exposure therapy might worsen symptoms of dissociation, psychotherapy for the dissociative subtype of PTSD is modified to include gradual exposure to the stressor or trigger, as well as identifying the dissociative symptoms, um, stabilizing, clarifying, and discussing the dissociative symptoms, exploring stressors that may lead to dissociative episodes, and controlling any risk of re-victimization. Hypnosis may also be useful to help people contain and reprocess traumatic memories. This technique may enable them to restructure their depersonalization and derealization experiences and learn to control their need to disassociate. Another traumatic response, or I guess I don't know if this is a traumatic response, but it's more of a blanket term for, for like uh, co-occurring disorders. It's called comorbid PTSD, and this is when a person has more than one mental health concern, um, often hand-in-hand with substance abuse issues. It's extremely common since many people suffer from more than one condition at a time. Uh, Best results are achieved when both the comorbid PTSD and the other disorder are treated at the same time. Many people who suffer from any types of PTSD try to treat it on their own, including self-medication and other destructive behaviors. Again, using drugs or alcohol as a way to numb the pain will only make things worse and prolong treatment. It's extremely important for your own mental health to gain an understanding of which type of PTSD you believe you are feeling and make a decision to go get the guidance needed for healing. Over 90% of people with PTSD have at least one lifetime comorbid mental disorder. Some of the most common comorbid conditions with PTSD are major depressive disorder, alcohol abuse or dependence, another anxiety disorder, borderline personality disorder, and antisocial personality disorder. It is possible that personality types associated with impulsivity may put the person at risk of exposure to traumatic events. Another subtype, I guess I would call it, of PTSD is called uncomplicated PTSD. Uh, This is usually when There is just one major traumatic event instead of multiple events, and it is the easiest form of PTSD to treat. Some of the symptoms of uncomplicated PTSD include avoidance of trauma reminders, nightmares, flashbacks to the event, irritability, mood changes, changes in relationships, so a lot of the same stuff of just, you know, regular PTSD. It can be treated through therapy, medication, or a combination of both. 
Individuals with this type uh, often re-experience the trauma and avoid places or people related to the trauma. But the main difference between this one and others is that it does not coexist with other mental health conditions like depression. Uncomplicated PTSD is also one of the most commonly diagnosed and is highly responsive to treatment. Uncomplicated PTSD typically develops from a single traumatic event, like a major car accident, um, where concussions and total cars can be awful reminders of what could have happened. People might begin to experience intrusive thoughts multiple times a week, even when they try to avoid thinking about them. Family and friends may notice increased irritability and are easily overwhelmed in loud spaces and becoming moody with them. These mood changes can begin to strain multiple relationships and significantly impact your ability to navigate daily living activities. Treatment can include cognitive therapy to develop relaxation strategies to reduce anxiety. Another common approach is exposure therapy. Learning communication skills to better share complicated or unexplainable feelings can help prevent emotional outbursts with close ones, which can be done as an individual or group therapy. Some psych medications can target specific symptoms of PTSD independently or together with therapy sessions. And our last subtype uh, we're going to be talking about today is called complex PTSD or CPTSD. <clears throat> this is the opposite of uncomplicated PTSD. It is caused by multiple traumatic events, not just one. It is common in abuse or domestic violence cases, repeated exposure to war or community violence or sudden loss. While they share the same symptoms, treatment of complex PTSD is a little bit more intense than uncomplicated PTSD. For example, individuals with complex PTSD can be diagnosed with borderline or antisocial personality disorder or dissociative disorders. They exhibit behavioral issues such as impulsivity, aggression, substance abuse, or sexual impulsivities. They can also exhibit extreme emotional issues like intense rage, depression, or panic. They can have additional symptoms like difficulty with self-perception, distorted beliefs about self or others, and problems with emotional regulation. Both PTSD and CPTSD result from the experience of something deeply traumatic and can cause flashbacks, nightmares, and insomnia. Both conditions can also make you feel intensely afraid and unsafe even though the danger has passed, but there are characteristics that differentiate them like the frequency of the trauma. While PTSD is caused by a single traumatic event, CPTSD is caused by long-lasting trauma 
that continues or repeats for months, even years. Unlike PTSD, which can develop regardless of what age you are, when the trauma occurred, CPTSD is typically the result of childhood trauma. The psychological and developmental impacts of complex trauma early in life are often more severe than a single traumatic experience. So different that many experts believe that PTSD diagnostic criteria doesn't adequately describe the wide-ranging and long-lasting consequences of PTSD. In addition to all of the core symptoms of PTSD, re-experiencing, avoidance, and hyperarousal, CPTSD symptoms generally also include difficulty controlling emotions. This can manifest as explosive anger, persistent sadness, depression, and suicidal thoughts. Um, they usually have a negative self-view of themselves. They may feel helpless, guilty, or ashamed. They often have a sense of being completely different than other people. They have difficulty with relationships. Relationships may suffer due to difficulties trusting others and a negative view of themselves. A person with CPTSD may avoid relationships or develop unhealthy relationships because that is what they know from their past. Uh, they detach themselves from trauma. A person may disconnect themselves or like depersonalization and the world around them, like derealization. Some people may even forget their trauma. Sometimes they lose their core values, core beliefs, uh, religious faith, or hope in the world and other people. All of these symptoms can be really life-altering and can impair personal, family, social, educational, occupational, or other important areas of life. To diagnose CPTSD, uh, there's not a specific test to determine the difference between PTSD and CPTSD, so it's important to track your symptoms that you have experienced or are currently experiencing so that you can describe them to your doctor. Treatment of CPTSD and PTSD is pretty similar, um, but you may want to discuss any additional symptoms of your complex trauma that your doctor or therapist might have to address with you. Um, Sometimes CPTSD can also share signs and symptoms with border, borderline personality disorder. So just be aware to take um, good notes of your symptoms and your past and the things you've been, been through so that your therapist or doctor can come to the correct diagnosis. So it is believed that the cause of CPTSD is severe, repetitive abuse over a long period of time. The abuse usually occurs at vulnerable times in the person's life, 
like early childhood or adolescence, um, sometimes teens, and it, cre it, it creates lifelong challenges. Um, the types of long-term traumatic events that can cause CPTSD are child abuse, neglect or abandonment, uh, domestic violence, genocide, childhood soldiering, torture, and slavery. When these events happen, uh, the victim is under the control of another person and they don't have the ability to easily escape. And that's what triggers the trauma. You have to know that treatments for complex PTSD take some time. It's really important to find ways to manage and cope with these symptoms. Uh, there's a couple ways you can manage your recovery and they are to find support, have a strong social support system. Um, it's really important for your mental well-being. Uh, practicing mindfulness, it's a way you can help become more aware of what you're feeling in that moment and combat feelings of distress or just negative feelings in general. Uh, writing down your thoughts. Um, there has been a lot of research that's found that writing in a journal, whether it's a, a physical journal or an app, can be really helpful in managing PTSD symptoms. And they often decrease uh, symptoms of flashbacks, intrusive thoughts, and nightmares. So I want to talk a little bit about childhood trauma. Um, I know I have a lot of parents listening. And uh, as much as we would never want kids to go through anything traumatic, unfortunately we don't live in a world where that is a promise that they won't. So... I just want to talk about some <clears throat> signs and symptoms in children that you may want to be aware of just in case, you know, you ever notice a change in your kid and you just kind of want to know a little bit more why. Unfortunately, uh, childhood trauma occurs way more than you think. Um, more than two-thirds of children reported at least one traumatic event by the age of 16. Some traumatic events can look like a psychological, physical, and sexual abuse, community or school violence, witnessing or experience domestic violence, national disasters or terrorism, commercial sexual exploitation, sudden or violent loss of a loved one, refugee or war experiences, military family-related stressors like deployment, parent loss, or injury, physical or sexual assault, neglect, and serious accidents or life-threatening illnesses. When children and teens 
have extreme reactions to traumatic events, their symptoms don't show up the same as adults. Um, in children younger than the age of six, symptoms can come up as wetting the bed after having learned to use the toilet, forgetting how to talk or being unable to talk, acting out the scary events during playtime, being unusually clingy with a parent or other adult that they trust. Uh, older children and teens usually show symptoms more like those seen in adults. Um, but they, they usually develop uh, some type of disruptive, disrespectful, or destructive behavior. Older children and teens may feel guilt over not being able to prevent the injury or death and they may have thoughts of revenge. Since children tend to react differently than adults do, specifically younger children react differently than older children, I like to go through some um, symptoms or signs for each, like, I guess this would be an age group, um, school-wise. Uh, so we're going to start with preschool children. They usually show their trauma in fear of being separated from their parent or caregiver. They cry and scream a lot, like an excessive amount. Uh, they eat really poorly um, or lose weight and they have a lot of nightmares. In elementary school children, they can become anxious or fearful um, more than normal um, for things that don't, that, you know, just don't seem to be something that they should be fearful about. They can feel guilt or shame, have a hard time concentrating in school or playing or whatever situation and they can have difficulty sleeping. In middle and high school children, they can feel depressed or alone, um, develop eating disorders or self-harming behaviors. Um, they can begin abusing alcohol or drugs, even smoking nicotine or vapes or whatever they do now or they can become involved in risky sexual behavior. If your child is exhibiting some interesting symptoms or something that you've heard today, um, just make sure you want, just make sure you assure your child that they are safe um, with you and anything that they tell you is is safe with you and you will make sure to, you know, take the proper steps to protect everyone in the situation. Um, you want to explain to them that they're not responsible. Children often blame themselves for what's happened to them, even if it's completely out of their control. They don't understand that, so just try to explain that it's, it's not their fault and that they're not responsible. Be very patient.
Um, some kids recover really quickly while others take some time to recover. Uh, reassure them that they don't need to feel guilty or bad about having any of their feelings or thoughts. Uh, that they're safe to have these thoughts and if they want to express them then they are more than welcome to. Um, but most of all you want to seek the help of a trained professional. Especially a mental health professional trained in trauma treatment. It can really help children and families cope and move forward and recover from the situation. So maybe ask your pediatrician or your family physician, and maybe a school counselor, uh, maybe like a church member for some type of a referral so you can help your child overcome this trauma. Childhood trauma survivors may experience some things that impact their lives and it can come out in various forms. Uh, they can develop learning problems including lower grades, uh, suspensions, expulsions. Um, they, they start to increase the use of like health and mental health services, uh, especially since the trauma does affect the body. Um, increased involvement in child welfare and juvenile justice systems. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes it does develop into long-term health problems like diabetes or heart, heart disease. So it's really important to get the child help as soon as possible. Um, and to provide a safe environment for them to feel like they can heal and overcome what they've been through. Let's talk treatment. Treatments for PTSD can be highly effective in reducing or even eliminating symptoms and improving the overall quality of your life. Treatment options may include therapy, medication, or a combo of both. Usually a combo of both, honestly. <laughs> um, remember, you don't have to try to handle the burden of PTSD on your own. Therapy can help a person process the trauma and learn coping skills, while medication can help reduce symptoms like anxiety and depression. Uh, but it takes a lot of bravery to confront and work through the challenges that PTSD brings. And seeking professional help is a really important and beneficial step towards your healing and recovering journey. So therapy and medication are probably the best um, types of treatments that you can do for PTSD. Uh, psychotherapy is also um, known as talk therapy. And some of the psychotherapies that are beneficial to most people with PTSD are uh, cognitive therapy. This is um, a talk therapy where you recognize the ways of thinking that are keeping you stuck, uh, like negative beliefs about yourself, 
and the risk of more traumatic things happening. Um, but usually for PTSD, cognitive therapy is often used along with exposure therapy. Exposure therapy is a therapy that helps you f safely face both the, the situations and the memories that you find troubling or frightening um, so that you can learn to cope with them effectively. Um, it's, it's actually particularly helpful for flashbacks and nightmares. Um, one of the approaches for, for exposure therapy um, is virtual reality programs that allow you to re-enter the, the setting of the traumatic experience and kind of relive it and learn a different way to see the situation and maybe even change it in your head so that you don't think about it as much. And then we have eye movement desensitization and reprocessing or EMDR. This is a combination of exposure therapy with a series of like eye movements or what I use in my EMDR therapy is these like little buzzer things that I hold in my hand and they just kind of buzz back and forth. So there's different ways to do it, but eye movements is usually the um, most common way that they do it. And they basically help you process the traumatic events and the memories um, and change how you react to them so that they, when they do trigger you, it doesn't cause such a negative reaction. Um, something that takes you longer to get over. It would be really beneficial for your therapist to also help you develop stress management skills so you can better handle stressful situations and cope with the stress in your life. Um, but basically all of these approaches can help you gain control of the lasting fear after the traumatic event. Um, you and your mental health care professional can discuss what type of therapy or combination of therapies may best fit your needs. You can also try individual therapy, group therapy, or try both. Um, but group therapy can definitely offer ways to connect with others going through similar experiences. So if you're um, a people person, I, I suggest trying group therapy, even if it's just one time. It might be really nice for you. As for medications for PTSD, there's um, a few that you can try. Um, one of the common ones that people tend to try is antidepressants. Uh, they can help the symptoms of the depression and the anxiety that PTSD brings along. Um, they also help improve the sleep problems and the concentration. The uh, SSRIs are the Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitor. Uh, medications like Cetraline or Zoloft and Paroxetine or Paxil are approved by the FDA for PTSD treatments. So that's why, 
that's usually pretty common to give people with PTSD. Another common one that's used is anti-anxiety medications. Uh, these usually relieve severe anxiety and related issues with anxiety. The problem is that some anxiety medications have a potential for abuse, so they're usually only given for a short amount of time. Unfortunately, benzos, which are usually given for anxiety, um, can give you like a, a mental high and sometimes that leads to substance abuse and nobody needs that in their life. This is a medication I never heard of before. Um, it's called Prezosin or Mini Press. It's, it's said to reduce or suppress the nightmares that some people with PTSD have, but then there's other studies that show no benefit. It's, it's almost like a placebo. Uh, but some participants in the most recent studies, the results differed from others in ways that actually could potentially impact the results that they had before where it was like no benefit. Um, but if you're considering prezosin, you should definitely speak with your doctor to determine whether or not your particular situation is um, is going to be good for the trial of this drug. Ultimately, you and your doctor uh, have to work together to figure out the best medication with the fewest side effects uh, that help manage your symptoms and just your situation in general. Uh, you could see an improvement in your mood and other symptoms in just a few weeks. So be sure to tell your doctor about any side effects or problems you have with the medication as soon as possible. You may need to try more than one or a combination of medications. Or your doctor may need you to just adjust your dose or medication schedule before you actually find the perfect fit for you. If you're lucky, you will never have to experience a trauma that sends you into a mental disorder like PTSD. Um, but that doesn't mean that you won't come across people or you won't fall in love with someone or someone you love won't go through something traumatic that may cause them to develop PTSD. Um, sometimes the person you love that has gone through this may seem like a different person than when you knew them before their tra traumatic experience. They may seem angry and irritable or withdrawn and depressed. Uh, maybe hearing the trauma that led to their PTSD may be really painful for you and even cause you to relive some difficult things that have happened to you or bring up emotions that you didn't expect. 
um, you may be finding yourself avoiding their attempts to talk about the trauma or you start to feel hopeless that your loved one will never get better. And at the same time, you may feel guilty that you can't fix the person that you love or hurry up their process of healing. Um, remember, you can't change someone, how they deal with their trauma, and you can't change the fact that the trauma happened to them. But what you can do that would be really helpful for them would be to learn about PTSD. This can help you understand what the person is going through and maybe be a little bit more empathetic about the way that they deal with it. Um, recognize that avoidance and withdrawal are part of the disorder. If they resist your help, allow space and let them know that you're available when they're ready to accept your help. You cannot force somebody to want to talk about something that's happened to them or force help on them that they don't want at this moment. You have to be patient. Um, offer to attend medical appointments. Um, if they are willing, attending medical appointments like doctor's appointments, psychiatrist appointments, it can really help you understand what they're going through and even assist in their treatment. Be willing to listen. Let them know you're willing to listen. But that also that you understand if they don't want to talk about it. Try to not force them to talk about trauma until they are ready to talk about it. Um, and don't force a time frame on them either. That's not going to help anybody. Um, encourage them to participate in fun things that might bring them joy. Um, plan opportunities for activities with um, close family and great friends. Uh, celebrate good things. Celebrate good events. You know, uh, go out to dinner. Something that can bring up their spirits or get their mind off of the things that they're thinking about. Um, make your own health a priority. Take care of yourself. Uh, eat healthy. Be physical. Uh, get enough rest. Take some time alone or hang out with friends. Do activities. Help yourself recharge. Uh, dealing with somebody that's going through so much like this, you really need to take care of yourself because you can't take care of this person if you're not tending to your own needs. And you yourself need to seek help if you need it. If you're having difficulty coping, talk to your doctor. They, they can refer you to a therapist and the therapist can help you work through the stressful situation of, of dealing with the person that you love having to go through such a horrible time and maybe the therapist can help you find ways to help them further but most of all stay safe um, 
plan a safe space for yourself or your children if you happen to live with someone that is dealing with PTSD and their triggers cause them to become violent or abusive. So always keep yourself safe. Um, it's not going to help anybody if you're not here to help yourself or the person that's going through this. If you know someone who may be experiencing symptoms of PTSD, the most important thing that you can do to help that person is to help them get the right diagnosis so that they can get the correct and most beneficial treatment. Some people may need help making the appointment, maybe finding the correct healthcare provider or a PCP if they don't have one already or um, the, the, the right therapist. And others may benefit from having you accompany them to their visits. Maybe if it's even the first one or maybe every single one, um, try, try to be there as much as possible because sometimes people need different things and as long as you question and they are willing to express how they need help, that's the best way that you can help somebody with this disorder. As I wrap up this episode today, I just wanted to remind you guys of the resources that I'm providing in the description of the episode. There's a link to the App Store and the Google Play Store for the app StairCoach, an app where you can get help for your PTSD symptoms. There is also a link to a PTSD quiz to see where you fall within the severity scale of the disorder. And lastly, I provided a link to a YouTube video about how to cope with stressful world news. Thank you for listening to this week's Mental Magic episode about PTSD. And I really hope you learned something that can benefit you or someone you know. I can't wait to provide you with more information about another mental illness in the next episode.